Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come today to worship you. We want to exalt your name. We want to praise you, our God, in whom we live and move and exist, and our God who has caused a new creation to come to us through Christ, our Savior. We thank you and we praise you for the ongoing work and ministry of your Spirit in our lives. And we do pray that this time of worship might be a time where you draw us ever closer to you. We do love you, and we know it's because you first loved us and sent your Son to be our Savior. So we ask in Jesus' name, open our minds, our hearts, the very depths of our souls to receive the living and abiding Word of God. And may it do its transforming work in our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that should be a part of all of our lives, at least our families' lives, is that we should have family prayers. They should be a regular part of our Christian practice. But as you know, as families go, they tend to get bigger and bigger. Some of you have uh, not only children here, but grandchildren, and in some cases, great-grandchildren. And as you add the names, you also add new prayer needs to our list. And of course, that takes more time and commitment during our prayer time. And this rippling effect of growing our prayer list gets larger and larger as we add more people outside of our family to that ever-growing prayer list. I heard someone recently say to me that on occasion he has fallen asleep while praying through his prayer list. Can you imagine that? Falling asleep while praying? Finally, we do have a remedy for insomnia that doesn't take, if you will, um, drugs or herbal mixtures or some unwelcome restrictions to late-night snacks. All we have to do is pray. And here in this particular letter, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes out the prayer for this church. It is a prayer that is a model family prayer. However, the family members are not necessarily by natural means. They come from all walks of life. But one thing is true of this family. All of them are spiritually united by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may recall from last week the mystery that was revealed about Christ's church, that through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary, he 
has abolished the enmity that existed between us and God and between us from one another. So that now both Jews and Gentiles, by faith in Christ, are joint heirs. They are joint members of his body. They are indeed joint partakers of the promise that is given to us in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jews and Gentiles alike are fellow citizens with the saints and are part of God's household. This was the hidden mystery of God's manifold wisdom that was hidden in the past, but now has been revealed. This great spiritual union between Jew and Gentile alike are now found in, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is for this reason that Paul prays and he bows, it says here in verse 14, he bows on his knees before the Father from whom every family or the whole family in heaven and on earth derive their name. That he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Here Paul shows us very clearly that this was just not any normal prayer like the prayers that we often lift up to God that sound like we're just giving him a menu of things that we've said before. No, he is asking God, the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would indeed move in a very graceful, in a very powerful way within the church of Jesus Christ. That it would be for, on behalf of the believers there in Ephesus, but also for us as well. Paul's supplication here is very specific. And it's important that we ask God specifically when we pray as well. He asked them that he would grant according to the riches of his glory that they be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is in accord with God's master plan of salvation that we have unfolded in this letter. That we are saved by God's grace through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are now members of God's family. And that we have been sealed by the indwelling Holy Spirit unto the day of our redemption. What Paul is asking the Father for now, by the riches of his glory, that we be strengthened by God with supernatural power through His Spirit in our inner man. You see, Paul is getting at something that cannot be seen, but it is something that is real and true, and it is something that God can do in the inner man of each one of us. 
It is a, if you will, a spiritual infusion of divine power in the very core of our being. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones divides this idea of what we are being justified to what it means for us to be sanctified. He does it so that we can understand what God is doing. Justification involves God declaring us as sinners, righteous in Christ. It is God's judicial act by which He imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. And it should cause us not only to understand that we are fully justified because we are in Christ, but we should rest in it as well. He makes this comment in his book, it is a judicial act of God in which he declares that he regards those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as righteous on the grounds of the work and merit of Christ. God imputes and ascribes Christ's righteousness to us. And we rest on that by faith. Whereas sanctification involves God making us righteous by His grace-fueled process through the Spirit of imparting actual righteousness in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is what occurs outside of us. It's something that God declares as the judge of the living and the dead. He has declared us righteous. Sanctification is something that happens inside us by the Spirit through the Word. Justification is a single, completed act of God. You are declared righteous. Sanctification is that ongoing process whereby God, through His Spirit and through the Word and in concert with us through faith, He makes us become righteous, being made righteous. It is this process of sanctification of becoming more and more righteous before God that is the focus, if you will, of this prayer and this petition of God for the church. It comes through the agency of the indwelling Holy Spirit working within us and furnishing us with supernatural power to live for God's glory. It goes along with what we read in Ezekiel chapter 36. 
as the Lord spoke, Ezekiel writes these words, I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And of course, the Lord Jesus, as he's promising his disciples before he goes to his passion, he says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, another comforter, and he will be with you forever. And then he says this in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16. He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. For he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. You see, the purpose behind Paul's prayer here in chapter 3 is this. He's asking the Father for more riches of his glory so that we're strengthened and empowered by his Spirit in the inner man so that, notice verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of Christ. Don't you want to be all the fullness of God? Don't you want to be filled up with God? Are you here today because you're just um, here for a worship service? Are you here to be filled up with the love of God and the presence of God in your life. I hope it is for that reason. Steve Wingfield quoted a book a long time ago. He's the one um, who heads up Wingfield Ministries. We support him as a church. He quotes a title of a book written by Robert Boyd Munger. It's this, My Heart Christ's home. It says it all, doesn't it? My heart, Christ's home. Let me ask you a question. Is your heart, is your heart Christ's home? Is your heart Christ's home? Has Christ taken residence in and taken possession of you and your heart? Or is he just an occasional visitor? Or has he become an unwanted guest? Or maybe you see him as an intruder in your life. Only you can answer that. My heart, Christ's home. 
You see, Paul's purpose in this prayer is that Christ makes his abode in the hearts of every true believer. That Christ is so much, so comfortable and, and so at home in your life that there is no other way in which you want to live it. That Christ is permanently, as permanently as it can be, settled down in your heart, in your life. Can you say today, my heart is Christ's home? Because as Christ takes residence, as our hearts become his abode, so we are rooted and grounded in his love. Christ's abiding presence by his Spirit means that God's love is keenly present, it is personal, it is dynamic. It is a living relationship with God. It is deeply embedded and solidly built up in Christ's love. And we bear the fruit of that through His Spirit that indwells us. We live by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We are learning through the Spirit. We are living our lives as a witness and a testimony to this world that we are in love with Christ. When Christ dwells in our hearts and His love is rooted and grounded, then we as believers in Christ are able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we can be filled up, filled up with the fullness of God. Well, let me ask this question. How do we learn what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of God's love? Surely, it is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? As He teaches us and guides us and empowers us to learn and grow in the Word of God and doing His will. Surely that is the case. Yet, I believe that Paul is getting at something much more practical here. Because he's inferring that as we grow to understand God's love, in a more realistic way, it involves us living out the Word by the Spirit in the practice of our lives. We're trusting and experiencing God's grace and love for us in Christ personally 
as we're living life through trials, through struggles, through sufferings, we encounter by faith in this fallen world. We come to know and understand more fully how Jesus Christ's perfect life and suffering on the cross of Calvary, what it actually means to us. As Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is through Jesus Christ's example that we are able to know the way to live in the truth and to follow Him faithfully. And how God's love for us in Christ that we've been talking about is so abundantly strong and supportive even through the scope of our trials and our temptations, even through the scale of our feats as well as our failures, even through the stature of our agreements when things are in harmony and going well and when there are hostilities, even through the seriousness of our doubts and our fears. Let me ask you this question. When do you really learn more about God's faithfulness and love for you? When does that really happen? When it's tested. When you go into something in your life and you can't handle it. When it's beyond your strength and beyond your ability. When you can't even, in your own way, cope with what's happening. It is through the trials. It is through the troubles. It's through the testing that we draw near to God and He draws near to us. Just as Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in, whether to have plenty or to be in want. And then he goes on and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's through these real life challenges of faith that we come to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Which builds. This love builds an ever-growing faith and hope and love into our lives and our commitment to Christ. And it is so that we may be filled up with the fullness of God. 
Paul closes his prayer here with what we call a benediction. But let me say to you, beloved, it's more than a benediction. It is It is a view, if you will, and a, a perception of spiritual understanding that we need to grab hold of in our lives today. Notice what he says. Now to him, to God, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul's closing words here are citing for us God's superabundant love and grace and power and blessing that are available to us in Christ Jesus. It goes far beyond all that we could either ask or think. Why? Because it comes from an almighty, sovereign God who loves us in Christ, who is working within us as we walk by faith in obedience to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for all time and for all eternity. That's why. It is to this one true living God that we should be giving all glory as His church. It is to this one true living God that indeed in Christ Jesus is blessing us with all of these spiritual blessings. And it's going, it's going on. It's going on for all generations and for all time. Forever and ever. Amen. amen. And amen. If you would, please take out your bulletin, and on, in, on the inside cover in bold print, you'll find the corporate responses to our time of confession. Please stand with me. We'll have a time of silence where we ask God by His Spirit and His Word to search our hearts so that we can confess our sin to Him, and then we'll join together in this corporate confession of sin. So let's bow our heads. Let us humble our hearts. Let us confess our sin to the Lord our God. Let us join together in our corporate confession. Our Heavenly Father, 
who by your love has made us and through your love has kept us, we humbly confess that we have not loved you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and that we have not loved one another as Christ loves us. Forgive what we have been, help us to amend what we are, and through your Spirit direct what we shall be, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of pardon can be found in hymn number 276. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 